precious Lord. That was wonderful, Lord. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for meeting with us and touching hearts and souls, binding up wounds today. Lord, we trust you for that. We trust you for your healing power and the comfort of your eternal word and for the presence of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Father, we always give thanks that we can give our tithes and our offerings in your house, God, that we can respond and return that which you have blessed us with. Father, I thank you for the the thing that Don and I got to watch the other night, Lord, the great recovery with Dave Ramsey. I thank you for the anointing on his life and as he cried out to America, Lord, one family, one home at a time, Lord, to do the right things to put you at the center. That God, you're the God that solves our problems. You're the God that has the answers. And Lord, I confess for our congregation and for our nation, God, forgive us when we thought government could do it. Government could never do it, and government will never do it. You are God alone. We look to you, Father. You are holy. Lord, we want to look to you when we have a need. Oh, Father, you promised that you'll meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that this summer there are people in this room that are afraid, they're fearful, and they have held back their tithe. They have robbed you, God. I call forth today in Jesus' name. There would be new freedom in our house. They say, Lord, I trust you even with the tithe, Lord God. Why would you not? Do not forsake the Lord God. He is awesome and he is here. I don't want to trust any other. I don't want to trust myself. I am sinful. I am frail. But God, you are mighty. We trust you today, Lord Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And everything that comes our way has to be filtered through your hands, Father. So, Lord, we receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Wow, I know I was going to start preaching about giving. I tell you what, man, I watched Dave Ramsey and he fired me up. Okay, I got a little something crazy in my voice. You got me set up there. Here we go. Okay, so uh, hopefully you'll respond and the Lord will tug on your heart and you'll do what you're supposed to. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Hey, put your hands together and thank God for Jeff and the team this morning. They did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, you were handed uh, one of those worship guides, a bulletin. When you came in, open that up. or turn. You don't have to open it. You can actually turn to the back. It's called... Uh, the back there for some teaching notes, and uh, we're going to be in the book of First Peter to, today. That means next weekend, Second Peter, and after that, I'm going to take a break and do a, a series that I'm really excited about, the journey to the heart of God. But this morning, I want us to look at First Peter, and we've uh, got some ground to cover, so open your Bibles, the scriptures to First Peter, the offerings will continue to pass and put everything in there. Okay, here we go. Ready? Confident living in a stress-filled world. I don't know about you, but our world's pretty stressed out. Who would agree with that? I promise you, if you could get through to the President of the United States today and go, are you stressed, what would he say? And if you called your senator or your congressman, you said, are you stressed today, what would they say? Probably going to get reelected. probably not going to get reelected. probably going to get kicked out if I don't do something, you know what I'm saying? And there's stress everywhere. And if I called some of you this week and said, are you stressed? You'd go, man, I am so stressed. My cat's stressed out. Everybody in our house is stressed out. The dog's stressed out. Man, everybody's barking. 
man, it just seems to kind of fill. But you know, as I continue to walk with Christ and look at the Word, I realize that we got to look to Christ. He can fix these things. He can give us peace on the, in the inside. So this morning, looking at the Scriptures here, I want to tell you something here. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's the writer of this book. You're going, okay, well, tell me something I didn't know because it's First and Second Peter. Okay. It was written around A.D. 62 to 68 there with the church scattered. And it was probably a time in Rome, or it was a time in Rome, when the church was under great persecution. There was an emperor. He was a wicked emperor. He was an egotistical emperor. He was an emperor that thought he was God with a little G. And his name was Nero. He was full of himself. Kind of like when you read the Old Testament, you see about Nebuchadnezzar, and you see all these different ones. Well, here he is, man, Nero. He, and you know what? Nero never wanted to accept responsibility for anything bad. If it was good, he took the credit. If it was bad, it was somebody else. And things were going uh, rather in a turbulent manner, and he thought he was going to put the blame on somebody. So guess who he decided to shift the blame to? Christians. And he was so hated Christians and so didn't want the light on him, he decided to blame Christians and then he began to burn Christians. And he fed them to wild animals and lions. He, the atrocities of the day of Emperor, uh, of, of Nero, then it, was, it was wicked, it was horrible. So in that Mediterranean world where the church in Jerusalem is trying to go forward, we find ourselves here in Peter. The recipients, 1 Peter 1.1, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now the theme here is to offer encouragement and to offer hope to the people. You know, so much of scripture gives us hope if we'll look to the word. You know, just a little sidebar this morning. Maybe you're a person that's lost your way, you've lost your hope. Let me just get you to try one thing. Begin to become a person of this word. Go back to the word of your youth, if that's when you read it. Maybe you've never read it. Go to the word and you'll find help for your soul. And the church said, and I mean, it's just, it's pretty simple, but we go, well, you know, I'm pretty smart. I'll figure it out on my own. No, no, you really won't. Paul is known as the apostle of faith. And you read all these letters in the New Testament, and Paul's full of, of faith. John is known as the beloved. He's known as the apostle of love. It's a pretty good thing to be known for. But Peter, Peter is known to be the apostle of, write it down, the apostle of hope. That's what Peter's attributed. He's, you're saying, wait a minute, I've been, I've been, I know about Peter. I don't know some church history. I know my Bible. Peter, man, he was a louse. He was a failure. He, man, he kind of messed it up. Well, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Here in chapter 1, I want to just give you a quick outline. In chapter 1, and following about 2.12, it says there in, there's encouragement in the Scriptures for those that will choose to grow in Christ. It's for growing Christians. You read chapter 1, and it says, let faith change your life. Live in hope. Live in holiness. Live in harmony. Live in love with your brother. Then you go to chapter 2 here, through 3.12, and he says, now let humility strengthen your relationships. And we're going to talk about humility some this morning. Peter would be yelling today, man, you're a prideful people. You're a prideful person. 
get it right. And if you move on to chapter 3, 13 through 4, 19, he says, let hope shape your, shape your future. And he says, now suffer. And we'll talk about suffering today. He says, now suffer, but suffer in this way. Suffering for doing good. Suffer for the namesake of Christ. Suffer, be persecuted because you love Christ. Don't suffer because you did something dumb and it's your fault. And then he would move on to chapter 5, and he'd say, now there's instructions here for Christian leaders. And then he would say this to you and me. Now I want you to serve others. I want you to serve others. I just realized that I didn't do something. Uh, Cheryl, is Cheryl in the room? I can't believe I just did this. I'm supposed to have a pointer, and, and I, I just forgot it. Hey, uh, I was wondering, I was looking at the slides going, you know what? I'm going to have a hard time flipping my switch, but I don't have it. It's in, a, it's in my top drawer back there. Hey, sorry about this. Hey, credenza, top left drawer. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Okay. Wow. Sorry, y'all. We got this new gadget for the pastor. It's supposed to make my life easier. And can I just tell you, I'm talking about being stress-filled, and you don't realize this, my blood pressure went up, my heart was struggling. I'm looking at this thing going, somebody help the brother, and I'm supposed to be helping myself, and I ain't fixing to help it. Okay. All right, well, y'all just kind of imagine and walk with me, and I'll catch up in a minute, okay? Let me, let me move on to this, though. Peter's got credentials. Here's Peter. Peter is known as an apostle of hope, but he's beaten. He's in prison. He does jail time. He's threatened. He's punished in his life. He fails. He gets humbled, and it happens to all of us. And then here's what I love. Peter recovers, and Peter becomes useful. Now, I want you to hold on to that today. Because Peter is like many of us, and we can really identify with Peter because we give Peter a hard time. But the truth is, Peter recovered. And let me tell you the good news of the gospel today. You can recover in Jesus Christ no matter where you've gone. Is anybody thrilled about that news today? I don't know what you've done. Some of you, some of you have blown it. Some of you, as my friend said at Caterpillar when I worked there, you're serious sinners. You got the big ass on your shirt when you walk in. And it ain't Superman. And it ain't super saint. It's sinner. But the good news is the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And that ground there, we can all overcome. And that ground there, we can recover from our past. Let me tell you, if I didn't believe this truth, I wouldn't have come this morning. Don and I would not have set to start a church 15 years ago because I had too many failures. Am I in good company now? Am I in good company now? You're saying, well, no, pastor, I'm religious, and you're just lucky to have me. I pray the Holy Spirit will get a hold of you this morning then. Let's look at point one. Jeff's going to come deliver me. Blessed are you, Jeff. Thank you, brother. I'm sorry about that, too. I tell you what, uh, anybody just want to? Come confess your sins. I've told you I made a mistake. Now I made my second mistake. So, okay, we got it all out of the way. Now, if you thought I was perfect, I showed you I wasn't. Okay, here we go. When, huh? Here we go. If it didn't have battery in it, I'm just going to go on. When failure comes, grace is better than guilt. Now, I love this truth. Some of you have chosen to live at guilt corner. Some of you enjoy guilt. Some of you are possibly obsessed with guilt. Why? I do not know. But grace and mercy and peace is much better than guilt. Let me, let me tell you. But the, and here, let's look at um, 1 Peter. He says here right off the bat, 
He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy, circle mercy, he has given us, circle this word, new birth into a, circle it, living hope. Man, I get, I get thrilled about that. I don't have to stay over there on guilt. I don't have to camp out there, live there, be eaten by guilt, be consumed by guilt, be doomed by guilt, be defeated by guilt. I can move on to a hope. I can move on to a living future with Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this to you. Peter, we read it, we find Peter earlier in Scripture. Lord, Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to talk about you at Costco this afternoon when I go. And Jesus, oh, Jesus, when I go to the marketplace, they didn't have Costco then. Don't, I said a little literary license, okay. God, some of you are like, is there really a Costco in the Scripture? No. And Jesus, I'll never deny you. But what does he do? The Scripture says that Jesus, that Peter denies Jesus once, twice, three times. Oh, but it gets worse, friend, if you feel good about that. Peter gets scared away by a little girl, girly man. He runs because the little girl calls him out. You wimp, Peter, man, you stink. But it doesn't stay there. I mean, Peter gets scared away by a girl. Peter denies. Peter is a failure. You're somebody you're going. And yet God picks him to be a leader in the book of Acts of the church. Huh? You can go from failure to a hero in God's economy, in God's world? You can. And I tell you, if we're willing to just not be saddled by our past, I want you to write down this statement. I don't have it coming up for you, but I want you to see this. Don't let the background of failure limit you any longer. See, there are a lot of people today that have successful backgrounds. You have a successful future. And some of you today just need to hear this message that you've been limited and you've let the devil talk to you and you've let him convince you you're no good. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, friend. And you don't have to be limited by the past. Matter of fact, let's uh, see what he says here. I read that to you. I'm going to get on target here in a minute. Look at this. In, the God, in 1 Peter 5, 10, I'm going to run all through Peter. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The God of what? Some grace. The God of a little bit of grace. The God of limited grace calls you. That's not what it says. It says the God of what? All. That's all the grace of God calls you and I to the eternal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God, man, I'm, I get fired up just reading that verse and seeing, Lord, that I don't have to stay where I'm at and I can move on, but let's move to this because we'll build it. But when suffering comes, yeah, when suffering comes, look forward. Hope is better. Hope is better than looking inward. This morning, some of us could possibly be taking an inward journey in our soul. And it's good to come to a place of introspection. It's good to come to a place that leads to repentance and confession. I, I'm all for that. Jesus is big on that. But if you're only looking inward, you're missing it. But it says when suffering comes, look what? Look outward. Look forward to the hope that Jesus gives. You know, in this world, there's going to be a lot of trials and there's going to be a lot of suffering. And I just started thinking about that the suffering in this life, you know, I go to hospitals and uh, 
And then I'll listen to some of you and a lot of you, and some of you suffer. Some of you suffer emotionally. It's debilitating. Some of you suffer spiritually, and I try to help get you over that because I'm a spiritual doctor. But some of you suffer financially, and some of you suffer in different ways, but some of you suffer physically. And there have been there's some people out here in here this morning that have been suffering for years, and they're in pain right now as I speak. They're not in pain because I'm speaking, I hope. That's a little humor. Okay. But they're in pain because their body just won't cooperate. Here's what I'm learning. As we age, our body groans. My wife and family have been on me about doing this thing that Fred Daddy over there is in charge of. We have a personal trainer here and the leader, the guru, the wife, Fred. Probably see him on TV. Anyway, Fred does all this stuff, and he has these classes called gravity. In other words, when you see a Chuck Norris info commercial, that's gravity. Well, my wife and daughters have been going forever, and they've been saying, Dad, we want you to go. Well, I went one time, and I was the only, I'm sorry, I got an ego here. I was the only male, I think, in the class. It just, and I'm kind of spasmodic, and I didn't get there, and I just said, I ain't going back. Well, then my daughter decides that she's going to be a teacher. Well, Dad, you're going to come to class, aren't you? You're going to come to class because you know, Dad, I'm going to be teaching. And I'll do anything my kids do. I mean, I, I let them put lipstick and paint my hair and my toenails years ago. So, yeah, I'll go. So, I'll go to the class. I'm going now. I'm hooked. And I'm going to gravity class. But can I just tell you, Donna, I didn't tell you this because it just really hit me when we got here. Because this morning you were talking about you were sore and she works out all the time. And, and, but all morning... Man, my arms just been hurting, my shoulders just suffering, and I'm just wanting to walk around like that this morning. Dadgum gravity teacher, what's their problem? Fred, talk to them, okay? Suffering. And we suffer in this life. How many of you suffer? We suffer physically, but we suffer spiritually. We suffer because we do some things that aren't smart. Maybe we suffer out of dysfunction of our past. Maybe we're suffering because of the economy. But let me say this. You don't have to be a slave to your circumstance. You can push past that. Here's one. Your mom or your dad died of cancer, and you're suffering. I understand that probably as well as anybody in this room. Because I lost my mom. She was killed when I was nine years old. I was the only survivor in the wreck. I know what it is to grow up without your mom. I know what it is to suffer. I've suffered physically. I've suffered spiritually. And you've suffered. And yet... As I continue to study, man, I don't really know a lot about it. Let's look at this one. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I don't know what trial you're going through. We talked about inside and outside last weekend. But trials, trials are going to be hard. Trials are going to make you suffer. But faith has to be greater, and it is greater when it's connected to God. I talked about Dave Dravecki in here one, this, one morning, great Major League Baseball player and the suffering. I got to meet him. I'm thinking about when people lose loved ones in car wrecks and when they lose them to disease. Man, it hurts. But let me tell you, there's a guy I read about in Scripture, and he makes that suffering and my suffering look minimal. His name is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul went through. He was beaten 39 lashes on five different occasions. That's worse than a psychogravity teacher. Three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked and left for dead. He was one time bitten by a poisonous snake, if that's not enough. Then, if that's not enough, he was plummeted by rocks one time, and eventually he was executed. Paul would say this morning, 
our suffering is worth it when it's for Jesus Christ. But it's only for a little while compared to eternity. And in this life, it seems like it's forever. When you hurt spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially, physically, you think eternity has come to your house and it'll never end. Do I have a witness? But the truth is, it's only for a little while. And it will end. That's the good news. So God strengthens us and we rejoice here as we see the opportunity. Now, Peter here, he was uh, speaking about suffering for the namesake of Christ. Let me tell you some things. You might write these down. Here's how we suffer. You speak the name of Jesus in a crowd that's not into Jesus. You can be ostracized. You speak into an unbelieving world. You can be put aside. Here's what I know. Christians are the target of persecution. And in 2011, I believe the persecution is picking up against the spirit-infused, spirit-filled believer. And if you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, expect persecution, expect suffering. Here in this writing, Peter would suffer because he refused to bow to the emperor, to the little God. He refused to worship in pagan temples. He refused to do the things that were against Jehovah. And here's, I want, I want you to hear this thought. This is critical. Suffering is part of the refining process. Because when you and I suffer, it should draw us unto Jesus. Suffering has a result. It has a good work if we'll let it work its way in us and through us and to us. That it might bless others. If, if I had my way, I wouldn't want nobody in this room to ever suffer. I wish I could just walk up and put my hands on you and go, be at peace, friend. Peace. No more cancer. No more sickness, no more suffering, never. It's not what Jesus promised. And the people that get on TV and talk about this Christianity that, man, you go out in the driveway and your, your tank will be full of gas every time you get in it. And there'll be money in your mailbox waiting on you. And there'll be filet mignon cooked just the way you want it when you walk in and all this. What Bible are they reading? Does that happen to y'all's house? I mean, you come home, somebody rub your feet and say, blessed are you that comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, man, I've had over the years, man, a dog had even run from me when we had one. I mean, you know, my dog liked me. I mean, you know, it just, it happened. All right, here we go. When conflict comes, kindness is better than anger. Kindness is always God's way. Kindness is a virtue. We, our kids have talked about that. They'll talk about it more about being kind because God's kind. He's kind to us as sinners. And, 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 okay. I wasn't going to do this, but I'll ask you. A lot of you are married and a lot of you aren't. A lot of you want to be married and a lot of you don't, but don't tell me who. <laughs> but in marriage, have you ever had a conflict? Yeah. And I'm not going to ask you, have you had a conflict today? Yeah, that happens every Sunday morning. Conflicts. And when you have a conflict, it tends to push its way through anger. Uh-huh. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know, my kid really deals with anger. But it was so cool what they told me. They said, my kid has uh, a propensity to push back and to be angry. But this is what he told me about his young son. But my son is learning, it's called self-control. He's learning to go be by himself and to pray and to work through it so he doesn't lash out at others. I would say that is a very mature young person that I heard about. What about you? What do we do when we get angry? Man, we say stuff we ain't supposed to say. 
We swing stuff we shouldn't swing. We hit. We do all kinds of stuff. Look what he says here. 1 Peter 3, 1. And all this you greatly rejoice, though. Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Man, Peter is big on this trial thing. He's big on suffering. And, and he's trying to, like, I just got to ask you here. Um, in, in marriage, a lot of times I think women are smarter than men. Now all the women go, man, I love that pastor. You, you want to say that again? And, and, and most men in here would probably agree that they probably are smarter, or like, at least a lot of the time they are. And, uh, but when you read Peter, and I can't go through all this, he begins to talk about the marriage relationship. He talks about what they're supposed to do and how men are to live with them and, and uh, men are to be considerate. And yet there's a parallel verse over in Ephesians 5, 2. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Christian marriage, there should be mutual submission. But this submission word gets beat down, and people don't want to hear it in the church, but it's a biblical word. It's a Jesus word. Jesus calls us to submit to his lordship. He calls us to submit to one another in marriage, and he calls our wives to submit to him. But we, we got this anger thing. I'm gonna write, I want you to write down this. This is uh, kind of post-sidebar uh, stuff, but it's four triggers that maybe cause our anger. Number one, fear. When you have a spirit of fear or fear grips you, it can tend to trigger anger in your life. A second one is frustration. When you and I get frustrated, we tend to get angry. Do I have a witness? Oh, yeah, man. You, you don't know how to do it. You just get angry. Dumb TV. Here's one. Computer. What's wrong with it? There ain't nothing wrong with the computer. It's the operator, baby. You know, I don't know why I was born for this generation. I love media. I love technology when I remember my clicker. I love all this stuff, but I have no idea how it works. And Mark and Jeff would say, amen. He doesn't. But he's smart enough to use it. He, he's smart enough to realize it, that it helps. But you, you move through it. Let me get the third, the third trigger. Hurt. When you and I get hurt, it triggers emotion. It triggers response. And this morning, maybe you've got an anger problem and you've been hurt. You've been wounded. There. Uh, you, here we go. Tell you what. Let's all, I wish I had a hammer and I could put all your hands up here on the thing and I could smash it one time. I'd love to see what your response would be. Oh, blessed pastor. Oh, blessed. Oh, that's good. No, you wouldn't. Some of you would cuss. Some of you would foam at the mouth. Some of you would spit. Some of you would die on sight. I don't know. But you would not go, man, that was a fun thing. And when we, we hurt, we, we respond. Here, here's a fourth one. I want you to hear this. When you and I are humiliated, we respond in anger. I'll tell you this real quick. I haven't told this story in years. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I was in Colorado one time with a bunch of teenagers, and we were flying home. And uh, I had the humiliation of humiliation. In those days, a lot of times we did the Dan Davis thing. We would wear our warm-up suits. You know, he's a coach. I love Dan. And uh, so I had my warm-up suit on. I was in a big airport in Denver, and we were getting ready to fly home. I had a big week. God had met us, and I'm standing there, and this kid thought he'd be smart. And he came to his youth pastor, and he snatched pastor's jogging suit. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? And so when he pulled it down, boxers were flying to the wind. And I'm right there in the middle of the airport, and everybody just dies laughing. I'm humiliated. And my first answer was, you're less mature than me, and I love you, and let's have fellowship and have bread together on the plane. It was not. <laughs> I thought for a minute, Ben, I didn't know you, you weren't a lawyer then, but I wanted to kill him. I wanted to know what were my chances of premeditated murder or, you know, of what degree. LeBaron, you could have got me off or somebody. I don't know. I need help. I was humiliated. And, and, and I stood and all I said was, Billy, get on the plane. 
and Billy went running. And I walked up on the plane. I was mad. It's a long ways from Denver to Birmingham. And I'm thinking about, you know those exit doors? I said about pushing them out one. I always wanted to see what a plane would do. You know, if you just kind of push somebody out. I don't know, man, the boy's an idiot. You know, he just, he fell on it. He fell out. Then the Holy Spirit fell. He convicted me. He says, I was humiliated once. They insulted me. They nailed me to a cross. And I opened not my mouth. Forgive Billy. I walked down the aisle. Kids are jumping out of the way. Kids sitting next to Billy. I just walked up and he jumped up. He didn't want to have none of it. And I sat down there to Billy. And I stuck my arm around him. He thought, he's going to choke me. I said, Billy, I want you to know you humiliated me. And that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen a kid do. That was stupid, son. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'd never do that again. I said, I know you won't. We don't have to worry about that. But I want you to know I've had hate and thoughts of murder and everything else in my heart. But I want to ask you to forgive me today. Please don't humiliate me again. But I love you, Billy. And I know that was immature. I know that was cool for your friend. But I don't want to show my boxers to anybody, okay? Billy was cool. We had fellowship. I walked back down the hall. Everybody's going, give me five. They're rising on my phone anymore. I can't believe I told you all that story. Somebody need that story because I sure didn't need to tell it. But anyway, I'm, I'm just kind of being transparent today. I'm just kind of laying it out there, okay? So let's move to this quickly husbands in the same way talks to the relationship be considerate as you live with your wives guys just circle the word considerate be considerate and treat them with respect as a weaker partner as heirs with you the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayers now he's trying to get us to to step it up and to to you know to to do the right thing and and he's telling us to submit to him or they're going to be considerate of them and live with them respect and and they're a weaker partner it doesn't mean they're weaker intellectually doesn't mean they're weaker spiritually it means they're probably weaker physically but he says be considerate uh, can be concerned about how they're doing and what's the state of their health and live with them and then he goes on at that very end of that he goes because if you don't live with them considerately i don't hear your prayers your, your prayer life man it, it ain't happening i mean i've seen this verse so many times it's like man he just puts it down here like man we've got to do something we we've got to submit here we we've got to get rid of it and i I just want you to see right here in the middle of the page definition of submission well there you go husbands love your wives as christ loves the church it's a great passage we read at weddings but it's a lot more than that god wants us to live it now look at this definition of submission having the courage to give up my rights to meet another's needs that's what biblical submission is. I give up my right to be right, or I give up my right to meet the need of another person. I submit to them. Ultimately, I submit to Jesus. And I submit in marriage. And women, you submit to your husbands. And husbands, in Christian marriage, you submit to your wife. There's a mutual submission here, having reverence for God, honoring Him, having the courage to give up your rights. We can talk about submission forever. It's having a gentle and quiet spirit. In the Greek, it goes, reflect a friendly attitude. To contrast that with being rough and cold and and harsh and abrasive. So husbands, I read this. I thought it was good. I'd read it 30 years ago. I just found it. Husbands, you're to be a thermostat in your home. You're to set the emotional and spiritual temperature for your home. But, oh, ladies, you got a job. You're a thermometer. You let them know what the temperature is. 
It's your job, man. You try to help him out. You're like, man, that, that's what marriage. I just ran into a, a friend that used to be an intern here years ago, and she's engaged now, so maybe I'm giving her some marriage tips here today. I, I don't know. Let's move on to this. When success comes, humility is better than arrogance. And we can talk about that all day, but you can figure that on your own. Humility is better than pride. Humility is better than being arrogant and boastful and rude. Humility. It's the way of the Father. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of flying on airplanes with teenagers. Humility is the way of Jesus. Humility is the way of Christian union. Humility is the way of how Christians live in the marketplace. They, they humble themselves. Let's see what it says here. In the same way, you who are younger, okay, you young people, you submit yourselves to your elders. You submit yourself to spiritual authority. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand, that in his time he might lift you up. Man, that's a verse. Man, we, we read it all the time, but, man, it's hard, to, it's hard to practice. God, help us to be humble. Help us to look to you. Help us to trust you. Lord, help us to apply humility today. I, I think it's this way. God, help me put on the apron of humility. Help me just put on the apron of humility, Lord, and go to work. Because it'll honor Christ. You know, honor another person. And it'll bring honor to the name of God. In James 4, 6, we talked about James a few weeks ago. It says, but God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you feel opposed by the Trinity this morning, you feel opposed by God, humble yourself. Let's look at this one quickly, the fifth one. When anxiety comes, prayer is better than panic. This morning, how many of you are really good at worrying? Just raise your hands. You really, you're really good at worrying. You, you worry a lot. There we go. Got one. Hey, raise them high. I, I want to really see them. Man, you're a worry wart, right? You just worry. Man, it don't matter. You worry because it's going to rain. You worry because it's not going to rain. You worry because you got tires on your car. You, got, you worry because you got new tread. You worry because it ain't going to crank. You worry about what you're going to, how many of you worry about what you're going to wear? You worry about that shirt's, you know, too tight. That shirt's too big. Uh, it's iron. It's not iron. You just worry, worry. I mean, you just worry about everything. It's like, God, I'll just turn the world over to you. Like, man, I'm just going to worry. You know, uh, and yet, right here in the middle of the page, look at it, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. That is a practical verse of Scripture. God, these worries and these cares and these concerns, they're, they're really rough. But God, I've decided today that the pastor's called us to do this, and I see in your word that you want me to cry out to you. You want me to, to put it in your lap. You want me to cast it on your shoulders because you're big and strong. And God, I'm not going to worry. Hey, friends, I'm not immune from worry. Yeah, I've been walking with Christ for over three decades. And I have fear, but when I fix my eyes upon Jesus and I throw it back on him and I cast my worries and my cares and, and the concerns of this world on him, I don't have to worry. You know what I've learned about worrying? It's just like a rocking chair. You go nowhere. It's like riding a stationary bike. You never leave the room. Worry. This morning, somebody needs this word. Would you agree, church? Man, okay, so cast your anxiety on him. Life happens. You get derailed. You turn it over. This morning, I'm begging somebody. I'm speaking so much truth today. And somebody's like, man, I'm derailed. I'm off track. Did they get on track? Just go, Jesus, I don't know what to do. Let me cast it on you. Lord, I'm concerned, but I trust you. God, that pastor, he made an admonition today to tithe. God, I want to tithe you. God, you know I love you. But God, I'm not going to give you my money. God, you know I love you. God, God, heal me. No, I'm not going to give you my money. You don't trust him. 
God, I'm going to cast my cares on you. I'm going to cast my wallet on you, Jesus. God, I'm going to cast my relationships on you. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And let's look at this one quick. When temptations come, just stay faithful. Temptations are going to come. I, I don't know, we talked about it last weekend, but temptations, nobody in this room is immune from temptations. And temptation in itself is not sin. Temptation will just lead you to sin if you entertain it long enough. And, and temptation is tough, but here's what I know about Jesus. He has the power, and we have the power in Christ, to conquer the strongholds of sin. And whatever temptation you're struggling with today, you have power in Jesus Christ to overcome that. I, I was thinking about the tactics of Satan doing a study in the Life Application Bible, he put it this way, Satan loves to attack the sick, the weak, and the isolated. If you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, from other believers, you can bet you're going to set yourself up to succumb to temptation. Secondly, he attacks newborns. He attacks new Christians. You're new in your faith. Temptation is coming, friend. I'm trying to get you ready. The third thing, he attacks those who pull away from the church. I get so tired of hearing this. Oh, pastor, I can be a Christian and not go to church. I can, I can love Jesus and I just don't go fellowship or be accountable to anybody. Who told you that? The devil? You might be a Christian, but that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And the church said, you need each other. I tell you what, when you get sick and dying, you talk to the devil and say, come see me, devil. I'm by myself. No. You want other Christians to come and bring you food and meals and prayers and magazines and whatever. You want them to come. Like, well, no, I just want to be an isolationist. Why? Jesus calls us to live in community. And the fourth one, he attacks us using fear. Satan will always attack us. And, and some of us this morning are, are consumed with fear. And we need to be delivered from that. But let's look at this passage and I'm going to wrap up. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour and that someone might be you. Resist him, push away from him, flee from him, and stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, the God of some grace, the God of limited grace, the God of what? All grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Man, I, I get encouraged about that, man. I don't, I don't have to stay there. I can take my temptations, I can take my thoughts captive to Christ if I choose to do so. You know what I've done? I've run out of time. I was going to do First Peter 3 uh, following with you. I just have to tease you with that another day. At least I didn't put notes on there. This morning, I've tried to feed you. I've tried to encourage you. I've tried to exhort you. There has been something for everybody today. Amen. I mean, you know, some of you are like, man, you nailed me three times, Pastor. Well, you weren't listening. I probably nailed you five. I don't know. No. Or you're saying, yeah. Or you're telling me, like, I got it all together. No, you don't. You didn't even listen to the humility part. You're all full of pride right now. I always love when people walk up and say, Pastor, that was the best message. I wish my neighbor would have come. They needed that. My wife's not here today. Could you preach that to her again? It's on website. You can go there this week, okay? Although I would not be there when you told your wife or your husband to go to the website and listen. Anyway. Hey, it's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? You're talking to a pastor that has been humiliated, and he's overcome. Woohoo! Okay. You overcome in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is so good to be with your kids and your children and your family. Lord, I'm blown away 
by the grace of Jesus this morning, all grace can be applied to us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to be steadfast, immovable, to endure through the ages in this life. Lord, I thank you that you're concerned about the things that worry us and obsess us. And Lord, I pray that today we would have courage to roll it on Jesus and cast our cares on you. Lord, you've spoken to us about suffering, and there are some people here suffering today, Lord, and I pray for grace for them to suffer a little longer, but to endure and to find peace and to find hope. And they wouldn't look inward, but they would look upward, and they would look to the future in Christ, the living Christ that gives all hope. God, today there's probably some that just need to go, you know, we sang that song today about 10,000 reasons, and I'm starting to see five or six or 100 or 200 reasons. I've never really given my life to you. So today, would you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ? Just say, Jesus Christ, I have blown it. I am a sinner. I am messed up, and I need salvation. I open my heart. Would you freely come in today and save me, a sinner? Would you become my Savior, but my Lord and King today? I give you my heart, everything that I know of who I am, but I cast my future on you today, Jesus. Help me to follow you from this day forward. Show me what that means and help me to live in community with other Christians. With every head bowed, did anybody pray that prayer? Would you just raise your hands high to the heavens? Did anybody pray that prayer? That was a great prayer. Somebody probably need to pray that or receive Christ today. Lord, you're good and you're holy and true. Lord, we bless you in the name of Christ. Let me give you one.